Well, good morning. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate that very much. Good to see you again. Have you ever noticed that we attach a lot of words to the word Christmas? And when we attach Christmas to these words, ordinary things take on new meaning. Ordinary things become different when we add the word Christmas to it. For example, and it's not just a parade, it's a Christmas parade, right? Kind of takes on new meaning. It's not just a party, it's a Christmas party. And then there's, is the video not working? All right, we just, I had 10 good pictures for you. It's not just a parade, it's, all right, here we are. Here we go. It, let's try again. Have you ever noticed that <laughs> it's not just a parade, it's a Christmas parade. It's not just, watch this, it's not just a party, it's a Christmas party. I knew some of you liked that picture. It's, and then, then it's Christmas cookies and Christmas presents and Christmas tree, Christmas shows. Christmas candy. And all God's people said, Amen. Christmas candles. Christmas lights. And of course, my favorite, Christmas sweaters. Especially tacky Christmas sweaters. Now, I want you to know, I like all of those. Uh, These are some of the things that make Christmas fun. These are some of the things that make Christmas festive. I like them all. And, And probably... All of us have experienced some of these things, maybe even most of these things already this year. Let me take a quick poll. How many of you have have already been to a Christmas parade? Raise your hand. All right, some more in this service than the last service. Uh, All right, how many of you have already had your Christmas tree up? Raise your hand. Yeah, almost all of you. How many of you put your Christmas tree up like on Thanksgiving Day or, or right after Thanksgiving? See, these are the people we, the rest of us don't like. <laughs> y'all, y'all are just too, too much into that. Okay, uh, how many of you have watched a Christmas special on television? Charlie Brown or something? Wow, almost everyone. How many of you own a tacky Christmas sweater? Now actually, it's probably more than that. You think it's pretty. Nobody's told you yet <laughs> that you actually own a tacky Christmas sweater, right? Well, these things are part of the season and the celebration that we call Christmas. Now, let's pretend for a moment. Let's pretend that an alien comes to our planet and he has never heard of Christmas at all. What would he think about Christmas based on the ten things that we just saw on the screen? What would he think about Christmas when he saw Christmas parades and and just go through the list? And the office parties and, and the cookies and... And the presents, and the tree, and the Christmas specials, and the candy, and the candles, and the lights, and the sweaters. What would he think about Christmas? What would he know about Christmas based on these things? Let me make sure you understand. I'm not saying these things are wrong. But I am asking the question, where's Jesus? I'm simply saying this. These things are not wrong. Again, I enjoy these things. But I am saying this. It's easy to forget, isn't it? 
it's awful easy to forget in the midst of the parties and the presents, in the midst of the candles and the candy, it's easy to forget what Christmas really means. Which is this. Love came down. That's what Christmas really means. Love came down. You see, the first Christmas gift ever given was given by God to us. And it was a sacrificial gift that I think we sometimes take for granted. You know, when you hear the word sacrifice in connection with Jesus, we nearly always think of the cross, and rightly so. Because Jesus, the Holy One, became sin for us. He died an agonizing death for us in order to bridge the gap between us and God. The the greatest sacrifice mankind has ever encountered, the greatest sacrifice mankind has ever witnessed, happened at Calvary. There's no question about that. But the second greatest sacrifice that this world has ever seen was a little baby lying in a manger in Bethlehem. I know that might sound strange because when you think of the Christmas story, you don't think of sacrifice. When you think of the Christmas story, it's such a joyful occasion. Even in the Scripture, when you read about it, it's such a joyful occasion. Mary and Joseph experienced the thrill and the sheer delight of being new parents and holding baby Jesus for the first time. The angels were praising and glorifying God. They announced the Savior's birth. The shepherds were running excitedly to see the baby in Bethlehem and then running everywhere else as they left just as excitedly trying to tell everybody what they had seen. The wise men were scanning the skies for a sign. They finally saw a star and they went there and they were overjoyed by what they saw and they bowed down and they offered gifts to this new baby, this new king. And in the midst of the excitement, in the midst of the enthusiasm, nobody realized the cost that was paid for this baby named Jesus to pitch his tent among ours. About 63, 64 years later, the Apostle Paul wrote about that day in Bethlehem. Time had given him a better perspective of the significance of that first Christmas. With the Holy Spirit's help, Paul was able to look past the exhilaration of Mary and Joseph. He was able to look past the praise of the angels. He was able to look beyond the excitement of the shepherds and past the joy of the wise men. And he was able to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made when He was born in Bethlehem. When love came down. When He stepped out of heaven to come to earth. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Scholars call it, scholars call this the incarnation. It's a big theological word that simply means that love came down. It's a big theological word that means the pre-existent Son of God voluntarily assumed a human body and human nature. And without ceasing to be God, He became a human being. The person we call Jesus. Apostle Paul writes about this. He explains it about 63, 64 years after Bethlehem, having the ability to look back and reflect upon it, and the Holy Spirit guiding him. The Apostle Paul wrote about the sacrifice when love came down. Philippians chapter 2. Would you open God's word with me? Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Hey, Tommy, would you do me a favor and close that door right there, please? The choir door. Thank you, Tommy. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Everything that was involved in Jesus' becoming human is outlined for us in this text. Everything that was involved when Jesus experienced this sacrifice is involved in this text. I want to show you this morning the four downward steps that Jesus took when love came down. The first step is this. The first downward step was that Jesus left heaven's glories. He says it right there in verse 6. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. When you grasp something, you hold on to it. When you grasp something, you don't let go of it. In verse 6, it, it, it explains to us, first of all, who Jesus really is. Who being in very nature, who? Very nature, who? God. You see, the essence of Christianity is this. Jesus Christ is God. He's not just part of God. He's not sent from God or just related to God. He was and is God. Bethlehem was not the beginning for Jesus. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, Jesus lived in the glories of heaven and in the glories of eternity. And He reigned over the universe. And He experienced everything you can imagine in the glories of heaven. It is beyond our comprehension what He experienced in the glories of heaven. And yet, verse 6 states an amazing fact. Verse 6 says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The Living Bible says, Though He was God, he did not demand or cling to his rights as God. The message translation says he had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, you were so important to him that he did not consider his high position to be something that he could not give up for you. Think of that. That He willingly stepped out of the glories of heaven? That He willingly gave up the glories of heaven for you? Perhaps all of us have had those times when we've had something that we prized so much that it became a hindrance to obeying God. Has there ever been anything like that in your life? Something in your life that you prized so much that you struggled to give it up in order to obey God? Maybe it's your house. God's calling on your life would require you to move. Or maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your job or a special relationship. Maybe it's some valued possession. Maybe it's an opportunity to fulfill a lifelong dream and you're grasping it. You're holding on to it. You're grabbing it. And it, it's been a real struggle for you to, to let go of this in order to obey God. 
If you've ever experienced that kind of dilemma between clutching something that you prize and obeying God, you can better understand what Jesus went through. Jesus had all the glory and all the praise of heaven. And yet He willingly turned loose of it. He did not selfishly hold on to His position. He did not selfishly hold on to the privileges of heaven. His first step downward when he was this. He left the glories of heaven for you. Love came down. Number two, the second step downward is that Jesus emptied Himself. Interesting text here, beginning in verse 7. But, be, but he says, but he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. The, the Greek wording here literally means he to, it means to empty. It implies that he came down from glory and in the process he emptied himself of something. That when he left the glories of heaven, he didn't just come down, but in the process of coming down, he emptied himself of something. Now for centuries, scholars have debated what that verse means. They've debated what Jesus emptied himself of. Paul doesn't tell us. I wish he had. I wish he had spelled it out for us. Paul doesn't tell us. But there's two theories, two major theories of what that verse means, that he made himself nothing, that he emptied himself when he left the glories of heaven to come here. Here's the first theory. Some say that it means that he laid aside or emptied himself of his divine nature when he became a man. That when he came here, when he became human, he emptied himself of his divine nature in order to become a man. On the surface, that might seem like a plausible idea. On the surface, that might seem like a good answer. But that really, scripturally speaking, would be impossible because his divine nature was essential to our salvation. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. No, let me be very clear with you. He was 100% God when He laid in the arms of Mary. 100% man, 100% God. He was no less God, He was no less man. He was 100% God, 100% man when He laid in the arms of Mary. He did not empty Himself of His divinity. But the second theory is this. That he emptied himself of the privileges of being God. And I think that's the correct answer. I believe verse 7 is, is implying, is stating that when he left the glories of heaven, when love came down, he emptied himself of the privileges of deity. There was never a moment when he wasn't God, but he lived on earth with certain limitations. He took on the limitations of humanity, the limitations of time, the limitations of space. He grew tired. There were times when he got hungry. God wouldn't do that. He lived with the limitations of humanity. He was not less God because he became man, but when he came to earth, he didn't insist on being treated like God. I don't know about you. Come on, talk to me. Just, just give me your attention. I don't know about you, but if I was God and I came to earth, I'd still want to be treated like God, right? I'd still be like, don't you know who I am? But, but he, he laid aside those things. He emptied himself of that in order to become man. I mean, just think about his birth for a moment. 
a few shepherds, some wise men, and angels is a pretty sorry turnout for the Son of God coming to earth. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, the rulers of Rome should have been there. Caesar should have been there on his knees. Instead, there was a few wise men from the east and some shepherds. The temple should have been empty that day. Everybody from Jerusalem should have been running to Bethlehem that day. But nobody came. Nobody except a few shepherds and some wise men. Why didn't He force them to come? Because, watch this, He laid aside His privileges of being God. He could have forced them. He could have demanded that they come. But He laid aside His privileges of being God. He went from sitting at the Father's right hand to being born in a stinky stable. He left the praise and the glories of heaven. To lay in a straw bed. With some cows and some sheep. Perhaps nearby. So the second step downward is this one. He emptied himself. Not of his divinity. But he emptied himself of the privileges of being God. When love came down. There's a third one. Look at this one. Jesus became a servant. It's an amazing statement in verse 7. When he says the second part of verse 7. Taking the very nature of a servant. It's almost beyond my comprehension when I think of what he did. That he went from master of everything to servant of everyone. He washed the feet of the disciples when they should have been bowing at His feet. And if you read through the Gospels, in almost every occasion, in all four Gospels, it's Jesus who is serving others, not others who are serving Jesus. He served all kinds of people. Fishermen, harlots, tax collectors, the sick, the sorrowful. Matthew put it this way in his Gospel. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many the third step downward from glory was that Jesus came to be a servant. Came to serve. Let me tell you the fourth step down. The fourth step down is this. Jesus was made in the likeness of men. Look in verse 7 again. And being made in human likeness. Being made in human likeness. Throughout Scripture, Jesus and Adam are often contrasted. In fact, in some places in Scripture, Jesus is called the second Adam. The first Adam, sin was passed to mankind through the first Adam. And through the second Adam, forgiveness is made possible to mankind. In the first Adam, creation was ruined. In the second Adam, creation can be restored. And to me, the ultimate contrast between the two is this. In the first Adam, the first Adam grabbed at the opportunity to be like God. And the second Adam turned loose of everything that he had in order to be like us. Someone said the Son of God became the Son of Man so that those who are the sons of men might become the sons of God. So why did he do it? That's the big question, right? Why did he do it? He explains it to us in verse 8. And being found in the appearance as a man... He humbled himself, became obedient to death, 
Even death on the cross. May I say to you that any Christmas play or Christmas cantata that leaves Christ in the cradle is incomplete. Verse 6 and 7 is Christ in the cradle. Verse 8 is Christ on the cross. Paul explains why Jesus became a man and why He took on our flesh. Why He stepped down from heaven. Why love came down. There was a purpose behind Bethlehem. And that purpose was a cross called Calvary. Not only was He obedient unto death, it was death on the cross He did not deserve. Perhaps we've heard about it so often, we've become numb to that statement. Let me try to put it in different terms that might have a greater impact. What if I said that Christ was electrocuted in an electric chair for a crime He did not commit? What if I said He was, he was executed in a gas chamber? He was executed in a hangman's noose? Or He was drowned in a lake though He was innocent? then perhaps we could get a, a, a fresh understanding that He didn't deserve that. That's not right. That's not anything that He should have experienced. He should not have died a death like that. Perhaps we could get a fresh understanding of that. And let me say to you that that type of death pales in comparison to death on a cross. And on the cross, Jesus said something that was very interesting. When He said, as He was dying for the sins of the world, when He said, it is finished. To tell us die. Now, now theologically that word means a lot of things. But one of the things that I think it means is this. What I began in the manger in Bethlehem. I am now bringing to completion. The thing I came down to do. I have now done. See that Greek word translated. It is finished was used of a runner who completes the race and goes across the finish line. It's the same word used of a soldier who's sent on an assignment and he comes back and the assignment is fulfilled. What Jesus did when He said it, it was finished was that the sacrifice was finished. The sacrifice that started when He left the glories of heaven to go to Bethlehem. That sacrifice now is finished when He was the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. First Christmas present was finally delivered when He said it is finished. And that's the reason, ladies and gentlemen, somebody get ready to say amen, that's the reason for the season. But can I remind you that it's not enough that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem? Can I remind you that He must be born again in you by personal faith and trust? And when He is, Christmas takes on a whole new meaning. Christmas means more to you than candy and candles and trees and gifts and parades and parties when you finally know this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. It means so much more to you. I want to close with a verse. We're going to put it on the screen. I want you to look at this verse. Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That phrase right there is only used five times in the Bible or in the New Testament. And all five times are in the pastoral epistles. Uh, it's not a phrase that was used a lot. But when Paul used that phrase, it was like he was saying, this is extremely important because it has the power to change your life. So I want to make sure you pay attention. That's what Paul was saying when he used this phrase. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
And here's the saying that deserves full acceptance. You might want to find it in your Bible and underline it. Because here's what he said. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the reason for Bethlehem. That's the reason He left the glories of heaven. That's the reason He gave up His rights as God and emptied Himself. That's the reason He took on our flesh and became a servant. This is the reason for Christmas. This is the reason that He was born. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He was born to die. And then, as if Paul was anticipating that we might say, well, yes, but not my sin. Mine's too bad. Then Paul says, of whom I am the worst. He was born that he might die for sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul summarizes the good news, and he says, Jesus came to save sinners, and no sinner is beyond his power. He came to save sinners, and no sinner is beyond his reach. He didn't just, watch this, he didn't just come to show us how to live. He didn't just come to challenge us to be better people. He didn't just come to be a good example for us. Jesus Christ came to offer us salvation. That's why He came. And my question is, have you accepted His offer? I don't know about you, but when I read the news and when I watch television anymore, it's almost with fear and trepidation when I turn on the television because of all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world. You never know what's next, right? We're just wondering, what's going to happen next? Where's it going to be next? Is it okay for me to get on this plane? What's it going to be like when I get to the other place? With ISIS around the world, with the suicide bombings, with, with the beheadings, with the things in Paris, the attack in Paris, with, with the stuff going on in San Bernardino, California, and who knows where is next? We wonder, are we safe? What's going to happen? And what's happening in the world is crazy. But the most important thing is not what's happening in the world. The most important thing is the one who came into the world. And the one who came into the world is Jesus Christ. He didn't just come to the world. Paul says he came into the world. So that he could come into your life. I want you to bow your heads and let me talk to you for a moment. Every head bowed please, every eye closed. who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And the question you have to wrestle with, especially if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, the question you have to wrestle with is why? Why? Why did love come down? Why did He leave the glories of heaven? Why did He take on flesh like ours? Why? If you think about it honestly, I think you will come to the conclusion that Bethlehem is evidence how desperately you needed Him. How desperately you need Him. Bethlehem is evidence that you could never be made right with a holy God. It's evidence that 
the bad in your life can never be overcome by the good that you do. The sin that is there can never be removed simply by your good efforts. There's no other explanation. Why would He leave the glories of heaven? It's because He is our only hope. He is our only hope. And the day that you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and to be your Savior and to be your Lord, is the day that you will truly understand the marvel of Christmas. Some of you today, I think you need to do that. You're here not by accident. You're here because God has brought you here. Oh, it may have been somebody else that invited you. Or maybe you just got up today and decided you're going to church. But it's not by accident. It's an appointment. God has been pursuing you. And today he meets with you. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart. And though you don't understand it all and perhaps your heart is racing. God is saying, I did that for you. Jesus is saying, I did that for you. When I left the glories of heaven and love came down in the manger at Bethlehem. It was for you. How tragic it would be for you to turn away and walk away without ever experiencing or receiving that gift. Would you receive that gift today by faith? By faith, say yes, Lord. Thank you. Forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and be my Savior. You can do that right where you're seated or you can come to this altar and kneel and pray by yourself or you can come right here where I am and I'll be here to help you and counsel you or pray with you. But if you profess Christ today, don't let it be a secret. Let others know of the decision you're making. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that whoever may be here in the balcony or down on the lower floor, And they've never truly understood the message of Christmas. They've never truly understood the gospel. Perhaps until today when you spoke. I pray that today they would have the courage and the desire to say yes. And that they will place their faith in the one. Who loved them so much. That he would step into our world. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.